Okay, Power Rangers, let's do it! Go, go, Power Rangers! <laughs> Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 35 of the Jetman with the Golden Gun, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Shojin Sentai Jetman. Every week we watch an episode of the show, we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me, as always, is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing today? Doing real well, man. Uh, I can't believe we're at episode 35 already. Yeah, I know. It's... Listen, we, we were talking about this a little before we started recording. Like, ever since episode 10 of Die Ranger, every time we hit, like, <laughs> like a five, like a, like, you know, the next... Like a big round number. Yeah, man, I can't believe we've been doing this this long. Uh, it, it, feels, it feels good, though, man, to, you know, to have actually committed... I say actually. Like, we do do stuff. Oh, sure. But... You know, but to have a creative project that we managed to stick with for this long, I feel good about about us, Matt. Oh, Dave, I feel good about us too. Congratulations, happy, happy anniversary! <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to you too. Uh, happy eighty seventh episode. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, uh. Let's move on, because <laughs> today, Dave, we've got to watch that 35th episode. It is called The Fighting Courage, given by a dove. Uh, oh, oh, are we going to get, don't tell me, are we going to get a sixth ranger? Dove? Dove ranger? I don't know. We'll see. Once again. But before we do the that. Fighting Courage, given by a dove. Uh, and we are doing this instead of going to the comic book shop on free comic book day. Partially because we care so much about you, the listener. Partially because it's already 2.20 and we've probably missed all the good stuff. Yeah, that's that's pretty likely. Um, anyway, Dave, before we get into that, it's time to open up with our award-winning opening segment. Dave, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? So, our first star of the week, Matt, is a uh, check back to a previous star, which is... Drum roll, name of the year competition. Name of the year bracket. So if you recall from a previous episode, uh, every year there is, uh, if you go to nameoftheyear.com, they run a bracket as to the best actual human name that year. And this weekend, Dave, they have finally come down to the last two names. Okay. So if you, what are if they? If you want to cast your vote, and listeners, the vote might have been closed by the time this episode goes live. But Dave, if you want to cast your vote... Your two remaining choices, and uh, this first one is in the lead, is Pope McCorkle the Third. Oh, and coming up, oh, that's a good coming one. Coming up right behind that is Sweet Orifice. So, if you are interested <laughs> in weighing in, uh, you go right ahead to nameoftheyear.com, place your vote, uh, and really lament the fact that Taco Pope is no longer in the running. Yeah, that's a true, that's a loss, not just for Taco Pope, him or herself, but all humanity, I think. I mean, if you're going to have one Pope name in the running still, I feel like Taco Pope was the superior, but hey, what do I know? I am not a... But, yeah, but you know, Pope McCorkle III is is a pretty solid 
Like, that's a pretty solid offering. Oh, sure. You know? 100%. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> trying to throw any shade on Pope McCorkle III, Dave. He or she is probably a fine person. We could only assume. But, Dave, <laughs> uh, what, then, is our second star of the week? <laughs> this is great. Uh, so, Beth and I get a lot of our groceries from a local farmer's market because that's the kind of people that uh, that we are. Sure. And, right. And so you would think, you would think, it's the farmer's market, right? And so not everyone there, but a lot of the people there are sort of like, like hippie farmers. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, a lot of the people that are, now some of them are, some of them are just, you know, like third and fourth generation farmers, and that's just kind of what they do. And But a fair number of them are kind of hippie, you know, maybe they're older, they started in like the 60s or 70s, and, and that's kind of the vibe. It's a farmer's market, right? It's someone right? who retired from their programming job and decided to make soap for a living. Yes. Well, the programmer guy, he grows mushrooms. Okay. That's his thing. <laughs> my, my uh, but yeah, this is this is a vibe. And so, but you know, like you go every week and you get to know the people. And so we were buying some vegetables from our vegetable person. Her name is Laura. She's great. And she was talking about another vendor, like a meat vendor that isn't there that we also know pretty well because that's where we buy all of our meat. And she, <laughs> she was like, so wow, so those guys aren't coming back, are they? And I said, no, did you not hear the story? And she said, oh, I heard the story. Okay. And which was basically that some other dude who also sold meat was super shady and was like like threatening their kids. Ooh. Uh, I know, like, your dad's a bad farmer <laughs> and I'm going to get him like shut down because you're not organic. Stuff like that. It's crazy because, yeah, you you think of these people as like, you know, the pleasant farmer's market people. But that is also where they go to work. And, of course, like, there's always that one guy at work you just don't like. Right. Even if your work is, like, (laughs) selling beautiful apples out of a stand, like, you know, to yuppies. Like, there's got to be somebody there that you are just going to cross paths with. Right. And like the people who run, like, because there's an organization that runs it, and those people are apparently also kind of weird. And so underneath. Of course, they're kind of weird. They have gone mad with the power of running their local farmer's market. And and so it's worse because these people run farmer's markets all over the city. Uh, And so underneath the sort of like crunchy granola bucolic vibe of the farmer's market is like a seething underbelly <laughs> of like of like weird threats and like backhanded dealings um, so yeah that's just that's the weird farmer's market news for this week okay farmer market <laughs> update yeah. Uh, what, Matt, is our third our third star of the okay, week? Okay, Dave, our third star of the week, and this is kind of the only thing I've been doing all week, is if you will mm-hmm. recall, last week, I bought myself both an Xbox One and a copy of Fallout 4. Which yeah, means so that's what you've been doing. This week, yeah. all I have been doing is playing Fallout 4. Now, here's the trouble, Dave, is that when you first bought Fallout 4, we kind of already talked about it extensively. Yeah, we did. So Not without good reason. Oh, no. I mean, listen, as I said, that's pretty much all I've been doing. So instead of talking about Fallout 4 itself, let me tell you about my week with Fallout 4. 
It's like my Tuesdays okay. with Maury, but just one week in a video game about shooting like radiation zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically Tuesdays like with Maury. a million Maury, times right? more interesting, right? Yeah, I think so. I've never actually seen it, um, but I can't imagine that anything else would be interesting. So, yeah, let's just let's go with sure. that. So, okay, here's the thing. So I buy the game on Saturday, right? right sure. By the time yes. I get home, I have to spend pretty much all day, or I'm sorry, the rest of the night, like running system updates and game updates and... You know, yeah, that trying, is, you know... Trying desperately to remember the password to get into my Xbox account because um, I had just moved yeah, systems I'm... and, boy, let me tell you, that was an hour and a half of my life. Uh, Dude, they do not make it easy. Like, on one hand, I get it and I'm glad, but they do not make it easy to get back into your Microsoft account if you just don't know your password off the top of your no, head. No, they do not, which is a double pain in the neck because we are currently speaking on Skype and Skype uses the same password. And so now I feel like every time I need to use either Skype or Fallout, if that wasn't the most recent thing that I have used, it asks me to re-enter my password. So now at least I remember. Uh, But uh, anyway, all of that aside, so on Sunday we recorded the podcast and then I played Fallout all day, right? Yeah, of course you did. Like what else were you going to do? But then on Monday I was like, okay, I'm at work. Like, all I want to do is go home and play Fallout. But, as with the beginning of all new relationships, it is important to set boundaries. So, instead of going home to play Fallout, I went to the gym, and then I went to the bar. So, I got, like, exercise and also social engagement for that day. And then I went home to play Fallout all day. I felt super good about myself. Yeah, well done, you. And that was, like, the third out of the last, or, like, the previous five days that I had gone to the gym. Like, I was feeling good. And, Dave, I feel like I'm being 31, uh, soon to be 32, I, I feel like I've now gotten to the age where, like, if I go to the gym and eat a salad for a couple of days in a row, I feel like I'm never going to die. But as soon <laughs> as I then, like, spend the next couple of days, like... Because I'll tell you, Tuesday, here's what I did Tuesday. I went straight home from work. I turned out Fallout. I turned Fallout on. I realized that I had no food in my refrigerator, and so I ordered pizzas. And, like, that was mm. then that was the rest of my week. Because I already had the pizza in the fridge, and I, <laughs> I desperately needed to shoot those radiation zombies. And so, like, I went in the course of four days from feeling like... You know, I'm going to be Jack like LaLanne a really on and like it. be able to yeah. swim the English Channel by the time that I'm like 97 to four days later feeling like, oh my gosh, if I make it to the end of this year, I am so lucky. <laughs> Man, this I think is just, this is the thing about adult, listen, there's a, I heard some saying about like the middle class. And uh, the joke about the middle, not a joke, I guess, is that if you're middle class, you can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And so, right. And I think being a grown-up is like that, is that you can play Fallout 4. You just can't play Fallout 4 all day, every day. Yes, which is a big problem because it is currently Saturday and after this podcast is done recording, that's basically all I want to do. So I'm going to have to figure some stuff out here. (laughs) Uh, But Dave, what is our fourth star of the week? So our first star of the week, Matt, is my cat Alice. We have two cats and, uh, and Alice, 
I accidentally left a window open. Well, okay, not accidentally. I opened the window, and I didn't think that Alice could get up there. Uh, She totally could, it turns out. And she got outside, and thank goodness, because our cats are inside cats. And so my wife, Beth, noticed her, and she sort of like ran out and got her. But Alice has discovered the portal to Narnia. Like she's so <laughs> fascinated with this window now. But she, so she just, she kind of perches up by it. She has figured out how to like get from like a piece of furniture so she can at least get her front paws on the windowsill. And she just spends like 20 minutes staring out this window. Because our yard is full of squirrels and chipmunks and birds and, and stuff. And she desperately needs to get at those squirrels. Now, Dave, does she, she does she try to get at other windows? Or does is it just like, oh, this is the one that I can get out of? No, she, I mean, like, the cats dig windows. But she is particularly interested in this one window. Because I, cause that's the window that she got out of. And I think she just keeps hoping that it's going to be let outside. And on one hand, I, I'm not going to say I don't. I feel a little bit bad. Like I am somehow denying this cat the opportunity to express her full catness. I guess. Sure. Does that make any kind of sense? Like, listen, get it, Alice. I get it. I know that you want to murder those squirrels. Like nothing would make you happier. But I'm not going to let you outside because there's like cars and diseases and stuff. So like, just stay inside. But. Yeah, she just wants to get out of that window. Uh, we do have a screen door in the back that will open, and she just oh, sits at like that, that screen door. Be worse because that's so tantalizingly I, close. I know, and I think the worst part is for her at least is that the squirrels they like they know that she's there because they've got like a cat sense. This is like a thing, right? I guess. I'd, and I, the only thing I know about squirrels is that sometimes they live in your crawl space and make your life miserable. That's basically it. If they have like a yeah, sense like about whole... cats, I will take your word for it. Well, it's like a prey animal thing. Like they can sort of sense on some. But anyways, I'm, I'm getting off track. And uh, but they they've realized that she can't get out, and so they will actually come like fairly close to the house. Uh, Just taunt her. <laughs> the other day, yeah, I guess the other day there was a squirrel in a tree outside. And it spent like 20 minutes just chittering angrily at my cat. And Alice was like meowing desperately. Try, like, <laughs> like she would like look back at Bath and be like what, is, like, what is happening? Why can I not get out and get at this squirrel? <laughs> she just, yeah, she just wants to go on a murder spree. I know I keep saying murder because for a long time I figured that cats hunted and ate outside, mm-hmm. right? It turns out that feral cats only eat it's like 20% of what they kill. Most of what cats kill in terms of like rodents and birds and stuff, they just kill it. Just sort of on general principle? Yeah, like on principle. Like it's a toy and then they broke it by accident and now they have to go get a new one and murder that squirrel. Okay. So so that's <laughs> my sad cat wants to serial kill these squirrels, but she can't. Uh, so what, Matt? What? Is our fifth star of the week. Okay, Dave. It's a big one. Are, are you ready? Are you ready to thread the needle? Because here is the situation. We saw Captain America Civil War last night. Now. Oh my gosh. It is Saturday. The movie came out on Friday. I guess Thursday night technically. This podcast comes out Tuesday. So we can't really talk about the movie because it's still going to be pretty fresh. So here's what. Here is the challenge to us, Dave. Can we. A. Talk about 
Captain America Civil War in such a way as to not spoil any of the good bits that we desperately want to talk about? And can we B, do so in a way that is actually fun to listen to for the listeners. <laughs> I have I have faith in us, Because I'll tell you, I, I uh, could go like pretty generic and say like, well, it was very fun and the, the action scenes were pleasant, but let's, let's try to squeeze a little juice out of this. Okay. So first of all, uh, we did get to see the trailer for Doctor Strange before the movie began and Dang, but that movie looks so good. Yeah, I'll tell you, that trailer looks a lot better on the movie theater screen than on my phone. It does. I like. We already talked about it, so I'm not going to talk a whole lot. Of, I'm not going to talk any more about it, but oh my gosh, Doctor Strange looks so amazing. So, a couple of things about Captain America that I feel like we can chat about without kind of really discussing the story or whatever. Like, we're, we're too much, too much. The first thing is this. I feel like they nailed the characters of both Captain America and Iron Man. Well, I mean, that's the great thing about this movie is that this is the eighth movie that has featured either like one or both of those characters. So unlike other movies that like try to get to this sort of crossover stuff too quickly, especially to the conflict end of that sort of thing too quickly, this has had a long time to develop. So when you pull the trigger on a thing like superheroes fighting each other, you've really sort of earned it in a way that makes the movie work. Yes, and I think that was super, super well done. But I was so, you know, anytime you go into these things, and and it's less and less because I really am starting, I guess, to have a little more faith in this whole process, at least on the Marvel end of things. But you're always a little bit nervous that they're going to mess with these characters that you love. And I don't think that they did. Like, everything Iron Man did was very, you know, everything Tony Stark did was very Tony Stark. Everything Captain America did was very Captain America. And for the most part, I feel like they maintained the vibe from the comic books that both sides of this conflict are are not bad guys. And I think that's the real tough part is that, you know, you've got this conflict and it's very easy to sort of vilify one side of it and make the other side totally correct. And they didn't do that in the comic books, the comic book version of Civil War. And I feel like they did a pretty good job of it in the movies. I totally agree. Also, um, like it's not a spoiler that the characters that are in this movie are in this movie, right? Like we can talk about that. I yeah. I okay, think that's dude. Spider Man in this movie is the business, dude. The <laughs> Civil War. I leaned over to you in the theater and I said it, and I felt so good about saying it. I'm going to say it again. Marvel did a better Spider-Man movie in 10 minutes than Sony has done in three movies. Yeah. I mean, Sony has made five of those movies, but two of them were pretty good. But two of them were pretty good, and the other three were not that great. But Spider-Man is so on point in this movie. It's great. I love the fight scene with Spider-Man, and I'm not going to tell you who he fights, but the fight scene with Spider-Man... It was great because it sort of reminded you that Spider-Man is not a slouch. Oh, no, not at all. Well, I know, but, you know, Spider-Man is in that category of, like, street-level heroes, right? Spider-Man and Daredevil and, you know, all those other guys. Yeah. And he's not... Spider-Man is not fighting Galactus. No, although I I feel like Spider-Man is the character that kind of bridges the gap between those two things. Like, sort of in all ways, Spider-Man kind of is the everyman. And I feel like that allows him to work both on like the Avengers scale and also the Daredevil scale. 
Yeah, but he was great. Actually, let me talk about the fight scenes for a second. And again, I'm not going to go into a ton of it, but the thing that I thought was awesome about the fight scenes, and I've actually mentioned it before, is that all of the characters in the action sequences feel very distinct. Captain America fights like Captain America, who does not fight like the Black Panther, who does not fight like Black Widow. But Black Widow does kind of fight like the Winter Soldier, which makes sense because they're sort of created by the same program. And I, 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 I especially love the fight style that they have come up with for the Winter Soldier because the Winter Soldier fights like, what if Jason Bourne had an invincible super arm? Yes. And like he just does weird stuff with it. That like, yeah, if you had been using a crazy invincible super arm for a very long time, you would have developed a fighting style around that. And he totally has. Yeah, like his whole jam is based on like just like Captain America's fighting style is absolutely based on the existence of his shield. Winter Soldier's whole thing is predicated around like this one indispensable element. And they just they did such a good job with it. And I'm so impressed that the action isn't just action, but that even the action is part of the character development. Yeah, and like those fight scenes felt like a comic book more than a lot of like movies leading up to this. And I don't just mean, and I was talking to producer Mark about this, and he was saying it's not just that they feel like on the scale of a comic book action scene, it's that the things that are happening in those scenes are things that prior to this, you only would have ever seen in a comic book. And they have that very cool, like, comic book vibe, you know? I mean, not comic book vibe, like, vibe from the Justice League. That's a different vibe altogether. (laughs) Oh, man. I, like, I feel like we could keep gushing about this movie for a few more minutes. But, I mean, listen, go see the movie. You're going to love it. Uh, It was fantastic. But we have another thing to watch that's probably not as good, but still a whole lot of fun. Oh, oh. By the way, real quick, there is a bit in the early part of this movie uh, where Crossbones is in it, and he is definitely fighting with two wing gauntlets. Like, oh, 100%. That's right, I forgot. Um, yeah, I leaned over to you. I was like, does that dude just have a wing gauntlet? And we're yeah, like, that yeah, is totally, totally what is happening. Gauntlet. Okay, but speaking of wing gauntlets, uh, let's go watch The Fighting Courage, given by a dove, and we'll be right back after the break. <laughs> Okay, welcome back. So we have just finished watching episode 35, The Fighting Courage, given by a dove. Dave, how did you like this episode? I liked it, man. Uh, It was... Okay, Uh, in many ways, it was sort of a standard episode of Jetman. Like, it wasn't one of, like, the episodes that I look at and be like, dang, that was a crazy episode. But... There were a few subtle but powerful moments of real intense weirdness. Yeah, there were some left field stuff in an otherwise standard episode. Okay, let's get into this. So we start off in a hospital, and there is a sick child lying in bed. Um, She is, yeah, she's kind of got her arms, hands folded on her chest. And then we flash to a scene of this bird flying around. And we get some nice aerial photography of this bird sort of flying over some fields, and it keeps cutting back and forth between this dove and this child. Right. And as the dove is flying around, it sees this truck, and it kind of it's, we sort of zoom in on the truck, and then we kind of get a ground-level shot. And there's this, the guys get out of the truck, and they've got barrels in the back, 
And the barrels are just labeled super gas. Just super gas. And they are. I don't know what that's supposed to be. I want to be clear. These are the sort of barrels that, like, if you're playing Streets of Rage, you pick up this barrel and throw it at somebody. That is the barrel that we're talking about. Yeah, it's a big, it's a toxic waste barrel. It's a big 55-gallon metal drum barrel, right? And they just toss them in the river because that's what you do uh, if you're a terrible villain. And then, of course, the containers break open and they start spewing, like, black, sludgy grossness into the river. Now, within about five seconds, the river has turned black and is bubbling and there is gas coming out of it. And all plant life surrounding this river is starting to shrivel and die. This is happening well, it's, within maybe five to ten seconds. Well, it's super gas, Matt. That's true. Uh, it's, this it's is not, not standard. Gas. Right. This is not standard level pollution. This is super pollution. Uh, so, <laughs> so we jump over to the viral dimension. And I think it's Radigan is looking at this. And he says, they call that scientific progress. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and then we get, and we got this in an episode sort of late in Jetman, I'm sorry, late in Die Ranger last year, where the villains are like, oh, pollution? No, 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 no. We are going to destroy humanity because they clearly cannot be trusted to take care of this planet by themselves. As though we have not just watched 34 previous episodes of the Virum trying to murder humanity just for the heck of it. Yeah. Like now they are trying to be like, oh, well, now we've got a justification. Now, right. Now we've got the reason that we need to kill every human being on the planet slash, like, enslave them. And it's, yeah, there's a really strong sort of environmentalist undertone in Super Sentai. Which is cool, I guess. Yeah, man. Well, uh, listen, I feel like this was probably coming out around the same time as Captain Planet. Yeah, no, I dig it. I dig it. I do notice that we have not had a monster that talks about the dangers of massive overfishing, Japan. So not this uh, year. Not this year, but I'm sure there is one. <laughs> there ought to be. Uh, so, anyways, so the in, the Virum are angry. They're angry that we're polluting our planet that they want to conquer, and so they take the biodimensional beast bug thing and they toss it on, of course, to the barrels of the poison. Poison, the super gas. Now things get weird. So we cut back to the hospital, and the little girl, like, bolts up out of bed and shouts, Oh no, it's a monster. So this little girl is, she has, she can see through a dove's eyes. That's a thing now. Sure, why wouldn't she be able to? Yeah, so she can just, she has like a psychic link with this bird, and now she can see through its eyes. So, that's cool. Sure. Good now times. we go see Akko. Akko is yeah, walking now down we go the street. <laughs> that's it. We're just end of scene. That's cool. She can see through a bird's eyes. Now let's talk about the Jetman. So, Akko, like you said, is walking down the street. And she sort of looks up some steps, and she hears people shouting like, oh no, the poison gas. And they're running away. And so she, of course, runs into it because she's a hero and that's what you do. Right. That's, yeah, like you do. And she meets our monster for the episode, Poison Gas Rat. Yeah. And Poison Gas, he's a, he's a Poison Gas Rat. He's got like a propane tank looking thing on his chest. And I think there's some tubes going around and he's got like gun fingers or something. He's a Poison, he's a poison Gas Rat. Yeah. It's not the most imaginative costume they've come up with. So 
this there's he's kind of spraying poison gas everywhere like you do i guess if you're a poison gas rat and then this dove the same dove from before attacks poison gas rat when you say attack like it flies straight at its face and then it's just sort of buffeting its head with the wings now i want to be very clear about something this is a prop dove like, this is very <laughs> right. obviously like a fake dove that is on a string that is getting swung around. Yeah, there is a dude with a fishing pole uh, just off screen, like, whipping this thing around. And in some scenes, they make it look good, and in some scenes, it looks absurd. It looks real dumb. <laughs> so, but regardless, uh, this bird is not a match for Poison Gas Rat, the mighty bi-dimensional beast. And so it just like grabs it, I think, and just and hurls the dove off to the side. Akko runs up. She saves the dove. Yeah, because poison gas just, like, is about to like spray it like clear on with its poison gas. Oh, that's so right. She, like, that's dives right. Dives into the way and like grabs it and snatches it away. Yeah, and then the other jetmen arrive. They all cross change. The dove gets away. They fight Poison uh, Gas Rat for a second. Now, what we do find is that he has, I mean, predictably, but he has like a sort of concentrated Poison Gas Breath attack. He's got a breath attack. He can only use it once every 1d4 minus one round. Sure, shoots out the giant, like, uh, Amethyst Lozenge. Yeah, that was the weird... Uh, what? Uh, Sorry. Yeah, it, Deep cuts to AD&D. Yeah, old school but, D&D dragon breath weapons were weird. Cubes of just, poisonous gas. Like, they did not yeah, make any sense. Yeah, it's very strange. So anyways, so they attack this uh, poison gas rat, uh, and it, it launches its breath attack. They can't breathe. Uh, the, they, the poison gas melts their bird blasters, which is great. Yeah, that was a pretty cool moment. It is apparently corrosive as well. And they actually just took some of the toys and just melted them, I think, which is neat. And then Ryu gets surprisingly savage and just straight up cuts off Poison Gas Rat's arm. Yeah, it is awesome. He's like, well, I can't shoot you with my gun. And so now it has come to this. And so he just grapples him with one hand and lops his arm off. And Poison Gas Rat's like, I am out. And so he just teleports away. We go from there to Sky Camp. And the chief is telling the Jetman... Listen, we analyzed the stuff that was going on in this attack, and it turns out it's industrial waste, guys. Right, like it is identical to like the super industrial waste that is currently being created by companies that cannot be disposed of with today's science. And then we get a gr- <laughs> This is an amazing exchange. And so Raita says, he says, what? That horrible gas was made by humans? Which, you know, listen, right, as a farmer from out in the country, maybe he's not, like, clued into this. And then we just get Guy, who super nonchalantly just says, well, if we don't stop doing this, the end of humanity is inevitable. And then he just walks away. It's so weird, though, because, like, he's almost smiling. Like, this is a... Yeah! It feels like a weird throwback to, like, early nihilist uh, Guy, who's like, yeah, I don't care. Let all of humanity suffer and die. Like, all yeah, I want to do is play cool casual and about it. Like, it feels though like he just kind of forgot that he was supposed to be a cool dude and slipped back into, like, screw the rest of humanity mode. <laughs> and that Guy does not has continue, a tender heart. That does not continue on for the rest of the episode. Like, he is in this to win it. He does not right. want the world to be poisoned to death. He just has this weird moment. 
Yeah, listen, man. Guy has a tender heart. He hides it beneath a tough exterior, but he's very sensitive, and he is upset about man's casual disregard for, uh, you know, Mother Earth or whatever. So, that's that. So, they say, like, we got to find this monster. Let's go out on patrol. So, the next shot we see is of the Jetmen on their various vehicles, and they are showing up, like, on patrol. Okay? Like, they're just driving around. And Raita and Akko stop and the bird the same dove from before because there's only one white dove in all of japan sure lands on akko's arm i think as they're driving around and it's got a message it's got this little it's got like a carrier pigeon yeah exactly it's got like a thing tied to its leg and so we don't actually see what it says but shortly you see akko and raita showing up to the hospital where the little girl whose name is airy well, I, <laughs> I just want to point out, Matt, we do see what it says. You and I just don't read Japanese. Oh, okay. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so, but they do. They show up at this hospital, and there is this little girl there. Now, and it's I'm, the same little girl I'm telling you now that the little girl's name is Ari. Um, throughout, like, two-thirds of my notes, she is just a girl, because I, they must have given her a name early on, but I did not catch it until, like, the very last scene. They, the only time they mention it, like, right at the beginning, is Akko says it out loud as she's reading the note. Then that's the only time they mention her name until the very end. So, thanks for that. Thanks for thanks. that, Jeff Listen, man. man, this is, we know this. We know this. This is par for the chorus. Like, nobody is introduced. That's just not the thing that Jetman does. And so, they go to see this girl, and this girl... Uh, the Anko and Raita go into Sierra, and Anko just says, "I'm sorry, man. Let me take that again." Sorry. Sure. So Anko and Raita go to see this little girl in the hospital, and they go up to meet her, and there's like a like five seconds of small talk, and then this little girl says, "Oh yeah, Paru," and she turns and looks at the bird. She says, "Paru and all of his friends, the animals, are really upset about what's happening to Earth." To which Akio is like, wait, what now? And Wait, what? Yeah. And Ari, so this girl just has the heart ring. So Ari goes into a story that if Akko and Raito were not already Jetman, would be the most insane thing they had ever heard in their lives. Yeah. So Ari, it turns out, she's been hospitalized since she was a child. Which, to be clear, she's still a child. But I guess a smaller child. Right. So she says, I've been hospitalized since I was a child. And I never get a chance to leave this room. Right. And so this bird, Paru, like it got really sick because of all the pollution and it could barely fly, but it landed in my room and then I nursed it back to health. And ever since then, I could talk to Paru and I can even see through his eyes and fly with him. And they're just like, oh yeah, sure. Of course you can. Now, maybe this is some like very low-level, like, natural form of verdonic energy. Like, that's the, like, hey, why not? It's a bird, right? Like, we're watching a okay. bird sentai. This is the only thing that makes sense, because we know from the very first episode that verdonic energy is not generate. Like, it is a naturally occurring force. Because what they say is that we have harnessed Burdonic energy. So this okay. little girl is apparently just like naturally sensitive to burdonic energy. Yeah, and so she is just like psychically bonded with Paru the dove. 
And Akko, this is the best part, is that Akko just looks at that and is like, hmm, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, sure. She is not, but again, she's a jet man. She's the Blue Sparrow. So this is just a thing, I guess. So they chat for a little bit, and then you see Akko leaving, and she runs into Ari's mom. And the mom is like, yeah, you know, she's sick. She's had this heart condition since she was like a little baby. If she were to get this surgery, then the situation would be resolved. To which Akko asks, like, oh, well, it must be very dangerous surgery if it hasn't happened yet. And the mom was like, no, it's really not. It's totally fine. It's just that Ari is terrified and will not do it. Yeah, which, okay, on one hand, I get. But on the other hand, mom, she's like a nine-year-old girl. Don't let a nine-year-old make that decision. Of course she's scared. You are the adult. You need to make that decision to have your little girl, like... Have the surgery. On the other like, hand, come this on, is man. a show for little children, and they probably don't want to have an episode about your parents forcing you to get heart <laughs> surgery. I mean, I just... If you take a step back, Dave... Okay. No, that's legitimate. Maybe it could be a show about responsible parenting, but that's a lot less <laughs> fun. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, I guess a uh, parent makes responsible decision for their underage child is a lot less of an interesting episode than fighting with the courage that comes from a dove. But you know what is interesting, Dave, is that we get a brief cutaway to um, Poison Rat Dimension. Dimension? No. Wait, what is this thing called now? Poison Gas Rat. It's Poison, poison Gas, gas rat. rat. Sorry. And he is, he's down in the bottom of this river absorbing poison gas. It's great because as he absorbs it, they have like built this prop arm that like you can see regenerate like it's growing out of the stump. Like the whatever prop work they did on this was really cool. Well, I think what they did, because the suits are all rubber, right? I think what they did is they just had, because you only see the arm, right? I think they just had the guy pull his arm back in it and jammed the rest of the costume (laughs) into the rubber sleeve. And then they just had the guy push his hand out into it. But it did look really cool. Like, the way that they kind of managed to make it look, it really looked like this poison gas rat was regrowing an arm. So it was some neat, I just love good prop work. So anyway, so he Poison Gas Rat is once again made whole by the power of pollution. And we cut and, then, and we cut from there to the park. Now, I don't this doesn't seem to be that far away from where earlier in the episode the super gas had like caused the entire park to become a Captain Planet-esque like terrible wasteland. Uh, but everything looks pretty much fine. Well, maybe Poison Gas Rat has absorbed all the poison, and so now the park is okay. Yeah, sure. Why not? I'm taking shots in the dark here, man. So Akko takes Eri out for like a picnic lunch, right? This apparently gets, helps her get is out the of room. first time in Eri's like, memory that she has ever been outside of the hospital. Which again, way to go, Mom, because it's clearly safe for her to be outside if she's in a wheelchair. So what's up with that? And it's not even that she's like... You know, that she needs a wheelchair to get around. It's just that she's kind of frail, and if she walks for too long, she needs to sit down. Because in a few minutes, we're going to see this kid run. Yeah, I mean, she is she's capable of doing that. She just has a weak heart, and so she has to live in a room for her entire life. Until yeah, she, she, like, just has agrees a... to let someone cut her heart open. It's... She just has a weak heart and a bad mother. That's, <laughs> you know, that's it. That's know, the whole thing. A pretty bad life, but she does have Baru. The, the flying dove through, through whose eyes she can see. So it's yeah, I was not all say, bad to be her. Right. She does have psychic powers, so that's a plus. So 
they have this picnic lunch, and Eri sees other people kind of playing ball and stuff. And Akko says, hey, Eri, if you get the operation, you will be able to play like everybody else. She's trying to encourage this little girl to get this life-saving operation. And Ari says, like, no, 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 you don't understand how I feel. Get away from me. And she starts wheeling herself away in the chair. Akko starts to follow her. But as Ari leaves, she, like, knocked over Akko's thermos. So Akko stops to pick it up. In this, like, brief moment of time, somehow, Ari manages to get so far away from Akko that, like, it will take a scene and a half for Akko to catch up. Oh, wait a minute, Matt. Sorry. Before that, that all does totally happen. But just before that, we get an amazing shot of, first of all, of Aerie imagining the operation. And in her head, I guess, Aerie has not been put under for this operation because she is seeing the doctors and each other instruments and like a knife comes in towards the camera. And then she freaks out. And she's like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not going to the operation. It's too scary. And Akko says, Eri, you must stop counting on others and live on your own courage. Let me say that one more time. Eri, you must stop counting on others and live on your own courage. Well, I don't see what's wrong with that, Dave. She's like 10, Akko. <laughs> why don't you chill out for a second Hey, come on. It's Akko just, is, what, okay. 14? Like, that's not a big four years. It's a pretty big four I, I years. Know, I know. So, okay, so then all this happens. So, uh, Aerie runs away, uh, and then Akko is, like, kind of looking around for her, and then Poison Gas Rat attacks. Attacks Aerie, by the way. Attacks Aerie. Akko, like, runs in and sort of, like, I forget, does she like push her out of the way or grab her or she just attacks poison gas rat or something? But somehow Akko intervenes. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot is happening in the notes right now in this part of the episode. And a lot of my room is dedicated to wondering how on earth Eri got that far away from Akko. But at some point, Akko does show up to save her from poison gas rat. And what happens is she starts to pull up her cross changer to call everyone else to come help. But when she sort of pulls it up to use it as a communicator, Poison Gas Rat like runs in and knocks it off of her wrist. So the communicator is knocked to the ground, and then Poison Gas Rat like blasts her in the face with this like dark poison gas. Oh, that's right. Akko now and it like is like blinded. And not just like has smoke in her eyes right now blinded, but like cannot see for most of the rest of the episode blinded. Mm-hmm. So Aerie manages to, like, get her attention somehow, and Akko, now blinded, she doesn't have a cross-changer, she just, she and Aerie book Yeah, they, she manages to, like, get a kick in on Poison Gas Rat to stun it for a second, but they just start running. Yeah, and Poison Gas Rat is about to follow them, but Radigan actually shows up and says, no, leave them, like, you are going to go attack the city. No, I like That's the this plan. scene for... A very specific reason, David. Can you guess why? The scene that we're about no, to no, talk no, no. about, that, or the that, one that, that just that happened? Thing that just happened with Radigan showing up. It's because. Gosh, uh, okay. It is because. Oh no! I do know. Yeah. I absolutely know why. Because we finally get an explanation for why Poison Gas Rat doesn't just chase them down and murder them where they stand. Right. Like in every episode, 
like what would happen right here is that the camera would just cut away and Poison Gas Rat would have not murdered them. But in this one time, they finally let us see what happens, which is that Radigat is terrible at like using his resources. So he shows up and instead of letting him chase down uh, Akko for another three seconds to kill one of the five Jetmen, he says, no, 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 you need to leave right now to go attack the city. So I think we need to extrapolate from this that this is what happens every time. Yeah, that, like, yes, you would that think that, oh yeah, the Jetmen are about to die, and then one of the viral commanders just says, no, don't focus on them, go attack the city. So, okay, well, at least we dumbest. have a, an explanation now. So we actually cut to the city that Poison Gas Rat is attacking, and there's a bunch of people, and they are running away. And I don't know if you noticed this, Matt, because we only saw it for like a hot second, but the crowd of people who was running away were also color-coded in the Jetmen colors. Oh, really? Yeah, there was a red one and a yellow one and a blue one, and then there was like a white one and, and something else. But there was a red, a yellow, a blue, and a white as, in, as they were running away in the crowd. And this leads me, <laughs> like, I don't want to go too far this, down this hole of speculation, but now I have this beautiful dream where everybody in the Sentai universe is organized. Right, like, it's not that Ryu wears red because he is the Red Ranger. He always wore red because he is one of the people who always wears red. <laughs> right, he is the champion of the Red Wearers, and that's his, that's his lot in life. But anyways, so that is, uh, you know, so we get that shot, and we go now to the quarry. Akko is blinded still. She is running with Aerie. They're in the wheelchair. Are they still in the wheelchair? Uh, I think they have abandoned, if they haven't abandoned the wheelchair yet, they're just about to. Yeah, and Radigat arrives. Well, because Radigat had he arrived to send off Poison Gas right, and he never left. He is doing, like, the slow Terminator walk towards them. Yes. Uh, Aerie is trying to get Akko away. Akko is telling Aerie, like, no, don't wait for me. You've got to run. And this kind of just keeps happening. Like, they keep stumble running away, and each one is encouraging the other to either, like, run or save them or something. And Radigat just keeps Terminator walking towards them, those two. Now, Aerie is supposed they... to be leading the two of them because she is the one with functioning eyes. Unfortunately, yeah. Aerie is a big idiot and leads them directly to the edge of a cliff. Listen, man, she doesn't know how to navigate a quarry. She's never been outside her hospital room. this is room. the Super Sentai universe. Everyone has been to a quarry. <laughs> but she does. She leads them to the edge of the cliff in this quarry, and Akko apologizes. It wasn't Akko's fault there at the cliff edge, but Akko apologizes, and she says, Ari, or Ari, like, I'm sorry, I couldn't save you. Uh, I feel super bad. Yeah, this all happened because I decided to take you outside, which is a weird way to, like, lay the blame on herself, but I get where she's coming from. Yeah, and so we flash away from there, and we just see crowds of pigeons, crowds of pigeons, flocks of pigeons and doves in the city, and then they all fly away at once. Now, what's great is that before the camera had cut away, Radigat had, like, raised his sword and was about to murder them both. Remember that for a second. Because then we yep. get to the city and we see the aforementioned uh, crowds of pigeons flying around. And then we see uh, Raita and Kauri, Kauri seeing all of those birds flying. They are like, oh, we should follow them. Yeah, hold up a second. Hold up a second. Kauri, for, okay, there's a one quick correction. Kauri doesn't see a whole flock of birds. She sees one bird. She sees the one white bird. 
and she sees it and then she says, oh, and then they go to follow this bird. Why? Why, why does Kauri, who has not met Eri and doesn't like, she just sees this bird and somehow knows, oh yeah, that bird will lead us to our friends who are in danger. Well, okay, two things. One, Raita is there and he, I think, was there when Eri was telling the story. So maybe he mentioned it to her. I mean, it is sort of a good, cool story to tell someone. If I met, Our, okay, if I yeah. met someone who could see through the eyes of the bird, I would probably tell you about it next time I saw you. Fair enough. I'd probably make it into the five stars. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, as we had mentioned, there is only one white bird in all of Tokyo. So when you see it go somewhere, like, you know, maybe it's important. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, thank you for saving that moment for me, Matt. So, Kari and Raita see this bird. There you go. Uh, They see this bird. This is why you watch the show first. So, they follow this bird, and then we flash over to Radigat, Akko, and... um, Yeah, Radigat, Akko, and Eri. Radigat has not finished this sword swing yet. Yes, in the last, like, minute, in the time that it took two people and a flock of birds to get from the city to this cliffside, Radigat has still not lowered his sword. But Paru shows up, he brings all his friends, and they straight up Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds Radigat. Well, they low-budget Alfred Hitchcock The Birds Radigat, because what happens oh, yeah, at this they're point all... <laughs> is that they're all just sort of like badly animated bird squiggles. Yep. And uh, Radigat is, well, there's badly animated bird squiggles, and then there is Paru on, like, the end of the fishing line. And Paru manages to, like, flutter around Radigat's head enough that he stumbles off of the cliff into the lake below. What's great, it was like a hot, just a real quick shot, and I don't know if you caught it, but when Radigat hits the water, his headdress flies off. (laughs) His, like, giant weird headdress flies off. And I I don't think we're supposed to see that. But he absolutely doesn't have it when he hits the water. Um, Okay, so where are we here? So the other Jetmen arrive. They attack Poison Gas Rat. Akko is still blinded. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Dave. uh, There is a... I think there's a little bit of a miscommunication here. The other Jetmen don't arrive. Um, all the people at the cliff are suddenly teleported to the abandoned factory. That's right. Because the rest of this fight exists there. So I don't know how long it took for them to get there, but it does not seem like it took any more time than the camera cut. Yep. So they're all there. And so it's the other... So, okay. So all the Jetmen are there. Aerie is standing behind a building. The other Jetmen attack Poison Gas Rat, they get off like one hit and then we turn around and they are all gone. They have just vanished and it's just Akko. Yeah, you don't see them get like defeated or run away or anything. It's just all of a sudden now it is a one-on-one fight between Akko and the poison gas rat. Akko is still blind. She cannot see the poison gas rat. So she's just kind of flailing around. Now this goes on for a little bit, but here's a very convenient fact is that the brand new weapon they just got, the Beak Smasher, has, like, homing lasers. So she just picks up the Beak Smasher, fires it in what seems to be a random direction, and it just bounces around a few times until it hits Poison Gas Rat, which is so great. So Poison Gas Rat falls off the top of the building where he was hiding, and then the other Jetmen arrive, and again, like, they were there. And then they are just 
gone. This whole fight happens, and then they run around the corner again and just say, Akko, oh, thank you know, you're okay. Hooray, you beat him. Sorry, we had to take a quick five. Yeah, it's just, they had like a smoke break or something. I don't know. You know, union rules, union rules. And so they fire off the Smash Bomber, which if you don't remember, is their new beak smasher combined with the bird blaster. And then they do a sort of a five-way shot and it shoots like a giant rolly glowing marble at the monster and then it explodes. So it explodes. Poison gas rat grows. They summon the jet machines. Uh, they all sort of get in position to get teleported up into their jet machines. And Ari runs in and says, Akko, like, please let me fight with you. Like, come on, bring me on board. I promise that no matter what happens, I won't cry. Yeah. And Akko just says, oh, yeah, sure. Go for it, bud. Yeah, come on. Let's just, come on, child, young child. One, okay, actually... If a giant poison gas rat is rolling around and Airy is, for some reason, still there, I guess inside of a jet machine is the safest place for her to be? Okay, yes and no, because here's the problem, Dave. Akko still cannot see, and, like, the jet machines are not immediately combining into Jet Icarus, so she is literally blind piloting a giant, like, jet fighter with a small child inside of it. And, 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 Dave, they are about to do Wing Cutter. Wing Cutter, which we have not seen in a while, so here's a little bit of a reminder for you. The wings of her jet machine fly off, like, attack something as though it's a giant, like, bladed boomerang, then fly back and she reattaches them. If you're blind and you're using the Wing Cutter, that thing is a death sentence, and I do not know how they survived this experience. Yeah, because when the wings fly off of Blue Sparrow, it just goes in, the rest of it, like the fuselage, just goes into free fall. Yeah, and like, and we see that she misses with Wing Cutter. Like, she can't see. She's just aiming randomly. Yeah, Matt, I do just want to point out real quick that you missed a very, very real opportunity to say that she was just literally flying blind. I, I, it's okay. I apologize. The, when I said she is literally, I meant to say that, but then the phrase fell out of my brain and I just needed to keep words moving. <laughs> so, it, well, and it turns out that it's a good thing that Aerie is there. Oh, by the way, Akko says, hey guys, let me and Aerie handle this one. And the other Jetmen say, yeah, go for it. This could be a real learning experience for her, I guess. And so they, she misses, Akko does, misses the first time, and then Eri gives her targeting advice. And so they do manage to hit Poison Gas Rat with the second shot of Wing Cutter. Now then, from here, they go directly into Jet Icarus. And, you know, Jet Icarus is doing the thing. He's attacking him with the spear. He's got the big ball and chain. Uh, apparently, Jet Icarus is also susceptible to Poison Gas, which is a tiny bit weird to me, but whatever. It's possible that it's just not airtight and some of it is getting inside and, like, messing with them. Well, I mean, that does make sense, except Jet Icarus is making the exact same move that one would make if they were being attacked by poison gas. Well, sure, but, I mean, they're piloting it, so they're probably moving it around to match their own motions. That's how they... Okay, I mean, I'm sure yeah. that's how they make it do karate, right? 
I, I don't know. Well, because sometimes there's like joysticks in the gen, the giant robots, and then sometimes it like follows their movements. I don't know. Anyway, but anyways, so they need backup, so they call for Tetra Boy. Well, they don't. Tetra Boy just shows up. Which I th- is like a thing about Tetra Boy is that sometimes they call him and sometimes Tetra Boy just shows up independent of anybody yeah, else. He, they he just senses they need help. And what's great is that right. Tetra Boy does not have human eyes to get like smoked up. And so he just runs in and starts punching. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he drops some punches. He drops some kicks. He does drop some chunk shots on Poison Gas Rap. Uh, three quick ones right in a row. Yeah, pop, pop, pop. And so, and then they say like, all right, Tetra Boy, good work. Tetra formation. And Tetra Boy turns into the, the giant quad cannon. And they're about to pull the trigger. And Akko says, no, wait, Eric, come over here. And it's like a really sweet, like little kid moment. Like, oh, come here. Come here. You hold the lever and you can hold it with me and just push it as hard as you can. And so Eric pulls the trigger figuratively on, on a giant building-sized four-barrel energy cannon, which I feel like has got to be a pretty high point for a 10-year-old. Oh, yeah. And, dude, the face that she makes directly after, like, the Tetra Buster goes off and destroys Poison Gas Rat, like, the pure joy on her face for having just, like, lasered a giant monster to death, it's so, like, pure and beautiful. Yeah, I feel like it's the... Just imagine the face that you would make, and it's that. It's a beautiful, it's an expression of pure childlike joy. Beatific, I think, is probably the right word. (laughs) So, uh, but then she passes out. She passes out, which is very dangerous. And so we go back to the hospital. Yeah, she's she's had a big day. From literally never leaving the hospital room to pulling the trigger on a giant, like, building-sized cannon. Um, That's a a bit much for her frail heart to handle. Yeah, so we're back at the hospital. The jetmen are there. Her mother is there. Paru, the dove, is there. And she wakes up. Eri does. And everyone's very excited. They're like, oh, you know, Eri, we're so glad that you're, you're okay. And then she turns to her mother and she says, Mom, can I become a jetman after my operation? And it takes Mom a second to catch on. And she says, oh, wait, so you're going to have the operation? And Eri says, yes. You know, like, I have learned that I have to be brave, and so I will have the operation. Yeah, and then, like, she continues to have this conversation as though she has gotten, like, official approval to, like, undergo the process to join the Jetman. Um, which, by the way, like, we do not see Ari again. She is not the sixth ranger. Um, oh, okay. This is well. But like, listen, the, but they keep acting as though she's like, "Oh yeah, like as soon as you get out of the hospital, like you can be our sixth ranger. It's gonna be great. You can be like white dove. We've already got a white swan, but whatever. We'll make it work." Like, well, that is the how other jetmen they are humoring a small child to convince her to get necessary heart surgery. Well, okay. At first, I was thinking, I was like, "Guys, this is not cool that you aren't saying anything." But if you think about it. If all the other Jetmen are fueled by their connection to Burdonic energy, and Eri has some sort of weird pre-existing connection with this same power source, if she just says, hey, can I do this later? Maybe the Jetmen, they're not saying no because their thought is, well, I don't know. Let's go talk to the chief. Girl clearly is connected to Burdonic energy. Maybe this could work. Yeah, they're just, they're setting up like a backup Jetmen at this point. <laughs> And then, uh, and then everybody is very encouraged, and then, and then the episode ends. That's it. So, Dave, what was your high point of this episode? Man, 
There were a lot of good moments, but I think my high point has got to be Aerie's face as she pulls the trigger on Tetra Boy. It's just, it's so pure and delightful. And, uh, you know, you can see the joy sort of welling up from her heart at unleashing 50 megatons of pure burdonic destruction on this pollution monster. It's just, it's a really sweet moment. It is. It's, it's heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> and rat How about you, man? <laughs> right. How about you? Uh, you got a high point for this one? My high point of this episode is probably how nonchalant everyone is. The, this little girl has, like, psychic bird powers. Like, it is just, it is introduced and immediately accepted. And it's so great. Yeah. Well, that actually sort of leads into my low point, which is that there is zero explanation. Like, I kind of loved that everyone just says, oh, yeah, that's cool. But it kind of, I was a little off-put where they're just like, oh, yeah. I think I was off-put because they never explained it to us, the reader, or the reader, the watcher. And they just say, "Oh yeah, uh, girls is girls is psychic. She can she can telepathically communicate with birds because she nursed it back to yeah, health." I was That's say, the like, thing. There that was did an it. explanation. She nursed it back to health. Like she let it sleep and in that, her bed that one night, and then and yeah, dimension. then psychic powers. That's that's how that rolls. That is um, more explanation than you get for most things in this show, Dave. So just be happy with what you've gotten. So, uh, how about you? How about you, man? You got a low point for this uh, one. My low point is the reckless endangerment of a frail child that just goes Ooh. on for most of the episode. Yeah, that's uh that's a bad that's a bad thing. We should not. They should have been a lot more careful about that. Yes. So, um, do you have anything else to add on this one, Dave? Uh, nope, I am all sorted. I am all sorted out. I feel like there was something else we were supposed to talk about this week that I've just completely forgotten until now. Uh, oh, right. There's new, uh, there's new pictures of the costumes from the upcoming Power Rangers movie. Ooh, yeah. Uh, whatever. Let's, let's talk about let's that talk next about week. that next week. That's a little preview for next week's five stars, if we remember there you go. it. Um, we won't. Uh, but, for now, that's gonna do it for another episode of The Jetman with the Golden Gun. Before we finish up here, I would like to remind you all you can email the show at supersentaibrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes or check out what we're talking about on Twitter, we are at Bros. If you like the show, and I hope you do, please remember, shining in the iTunes review section are five stars. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That's what's going to help new people find the show. Uh, if you don't use iTunes, you can rate and review there. I don't know how that system works. I don't really know how the iTunes system works, except that I hear other podcasts say that rating, reviewing, and subscribing <laughs> helps new people find it. Uh, the Super Sentai Brothers is a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. Once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. We'll see you next week.